The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We know over the past uh, 24 hours, we've been given a lot of data. We've been seeing a lot of projections, modeling numbers, and we've we've heard over the past um, number of weeks the statistics from around the world. Well, in an effort to help people and public health officials, a team of University of Alberta researchers have developed an interactive tool to visualize past, current, and future data for the COVID-19 pandemic. It is called COVID Mapper and the project lead, Dr. David Wishart, joins us now. Doctor, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you very much, Jalen. Now, this software is based on um, a web-based tool called Heat Mapper that you and your colleagues originally developed uh, a few years ago uh, for, for plotting biomedical data. Can you explain that and, and how, that is, how that was used and how it became uh, COVID Mapper? Sure. So, yeah, about three or four years ago, we developed um, software to essentially interactively plot out heat maps and these are the things that you the colored maps that you'll see in, in on on sometimes the web or on tv uh showing um uh, events or processes they change over time and so heat maps are a term for showing uh, hot and cold colors um uh-huh. with hot colors indicating something that's very uh intense or, or very frequent um and then the cold colors showing things that are very uh rare or infrequent so you can map things uh, on grids. You can map things on maps, um, with what we've done with COVID Mapper. Uh, you can map it into charts. Um, so heat mapping is something that's commonly done in uh, biology and chemistry and statistics. And so there are lots of applications that we originally intended heat mapper for. But with the COVID pandemic, uh, we realized we could use one of the functions in heat mapper. Uh, to to map out everything that was going on around the world uh, within provinces, counties, states, districts uh, about COVID and that we could make that interactive and visual and and much more, I think, user-friendly. So if people want to check it out right now, uh, you can go to covidmapper.ca and and then you can see firsthand what we're talking about. I spent some time on it earlier today, uh, Dr. Wishart, and it was really, really quite fascinating. My, I'm, I'm curious to know why um, it is so important to, to have this information and track it the way that um, folks like you and, and other researchers do. How does that help at this moment and in future cases uh, that we might end up in? Yeah, so what we really wanted to do was collect um, historic data and stuff that had happened when the COVID first appeared in January 10th. And we wanted to map that around different countries and to understand the geographic spread, the temporal spread. Um, and this is really important for understanding why uh, the disease moved from A to B and country to X, country Y, why it grew rapidly, why it grew slowly, um, what were some of the issues. Um, so we're, we're tracking not only um, COVID cases and COVID deaths, but we'll be adding other information over time, like uh, smoking behavior or demographics and age distributions. Um, and when you plot things out in, in a visual way across countries, uh, it, it helps make a lot more sense. But we've also done a lot of um, work that, again, other groups haven't done, is because we've got that historic data, you can go backwards in time 
but you can also go forwards in time. And I think that's the most important thing about COVID Mapper. It's the one tool we're aware of that actually allows you to go and figure out what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, a month from now, uh, three months from now in terms of the pandemic. And we're able to do that because we have that historic data that we've collected, and that took a long time to gather. Um, so there's a bunch of reasons why we do that. It's not only for research, it's also for uh, the public so that they can understand what's going on. It's to help inform um, other scientists. It's also to, I think, inspire some other ideas and how we can better track uh, epidemics and other pandemics. Where do you pull this information in from, Doctor? We get it from a variety of sources. The World Health Organization tracks and has tracked uh, COVID statistics for the last two or three months. But there's a lot of other data that we're getting from local government sources. And the website itself actually lists all of our data sources. Um, so we go through a lot of it quite carefully. And we had to vet the, the best resources. Um, and then from that historic data, then we've used that to, to, to generate our models to project forward. So when we're looking at the projecting forward, and that's what I spent some time doing uh, earlier today, was projecting forward. And, you know, so I'm looking into um, confirmed cases into the summer in Canada. And the number, I, I was expecting a, a different number because I think the number that actually came up at that time, and I'm talking now, this was into June or July, for me it said zero. Is, is that giving people... Um, false hope do you think or you know how, how can you uh, pr uh, be sure that these numbers are correct or can you well i think uh, the thing to remember about models is uh, there's a quote that all models are bad but some are useful um, and that's a i think a, an aphorism that we often have to think about when we do epidemiology um the the model that we have um, is is different than the modeling that's being done um, by the government of Canada, um, but it's more aligned to what we're getting from the Center for Disease Control. So the latest data for the Center for Disease Control in the U.S. based on their model is predicting that there'll be about 40 to 45,000 deaths in the U.S. and our model predicts that there'll be 41,000. Oh, interesting. That's quite a bit less than what they were predicting even just uh, a week ago from the U.S. That's right. Uh, and part of it is because, again, we're able to use the historic data. The modeling that uh, the government of Canada, the government of Alberta, and more particularly the government of Saskatchewan have been using is called bottom-up approaches. And there's all kinds of things about how the disease is expected to spread. Um, it's, you know, fine-grained. What's the uh, passage rate from point to point? What's your size of the city and everything else? What we're doing is top-down modeling, and we take information from other countries that have already had the pandemic passed. So China, the pandemic's over. South Korea, the pandemic's almost over. Singapore, the pandemic's over. Australia and New Zealand are about two weeks ahead of us. So we can take that data and use that historic data and project what was likely going to happen to Alberta and to Canada and to other countries. So right now for Alberta, um, we would predict that the, um, there'll be about 3,500 total cases. There'll be 86 people who will ultimately succumb to the disease, but will largely um, wrap up um, the disease, the pandemic in Alberta should be over by the middle or end of May.
in Canada. So those numbers, those, those numbers are com- really drastically different than what we heard the other night. That's right. And I think this is, again, um, I, I really believe there's some serious flaws with the models that they're giving, um, and they don't align with what um, uh, many other countries are getting. I think it's... It, um, the trends are, are there. Obviously, if, if we don't continue with the social distancing, if we don't continue with uh, the things that are already in place, we could see these numbers going up. Um, but um, the, the trends are, are already evident. Um, the number of new cases in Alberta has been falling for the last four days in a row. Um, there's been. But they're claiming that it was because of testing. Uh, they could, but I think it's also just fewer people are, are asking for tests um, because not that many people are, are as sick as they thought they were. Uh, now that I think people have a better understanding of what to look for, um, but there's also far fewer travelers that have come in. Um, and uh, Alberta still leads Canada by quite a margin in terms of the number of, of tests they've performed per capita. Mm-hmm. So Alberta's Quite, been quite thorough in terms of, of what they've collected data on. and um, um, Well, your numbers are, are a lot more, uh, again, it's it, it's just dr- drastically different than what we what we have been hearing. I, mean, I guess, you know, the, the question is, is who do you believe? Yeah, this is, I think, a challenge. Um, and this is one of the issues with modeling epidemiology we we always uh, when we're gathering information about epidemics and pandemics it's really important to have a lot of um, historic data to have information about how the um, uh, disease evolved in other countries and how it evolved within yeah. a, a given country or state or province for the previous two weeks three weeks two months if you have that data, um, then the models can be more robust, but they also change with time, and so our models also change as we get more information. So say today, suddenly the number of cases shot up by um, 300 in Alberta. That would certainly change our, our, our model quite a bit. Okay. Um, but based on the historic trends and the trends that we've seen in other countries, um, and in other uh, states, it, it really does look like uh, Canada reached its maximum a couple days ago. Alberta reached its maximum a couple days ago. The U.S. is still probably near the top of its curve and would start falling um, perhaps in the next day or so. And then um, countries so those- like Australia and New Zealand, uh, the pandemic is, is largely winding down now. So the the national numbers that came out today that um, were saying that we could see really anywhere between 4,500 deaths up to 22,000 uh, by the end of this, you're suggesting are way off. They are, yeah. And so and, and again, what we didn't get to what you believe the Canadian numbers are. So the current model that we have, which as I say is close to what you'll get with CDC, is that it'll be about 51,000 total cases and there'll be about 1,100 to 1,200 people dying. Hmm. Wow. 
that's drastically uh, drastically different, Dr. Wishart, and, I, and I'm just, my, my head is kind of spinning right now with, with all of this. Again, it's going to be interesting to see how the numbers um, continue to move over the coming days, and as you said, that could impact the way things change at covidmapper.ca. Um, I guess, again, the important thing is, and you had mentioned this before, I'm just because we're talking about these numbers and your numbers drastically different than the other numbers that we're hearing, it is important to continue to do what the health officials are telling us to do. Absolutely, yeah. The only reason why these numbers are starting to look optimistic is because of the social distancing that we've been doing. So in that regard, the, the advice that's been going out there, people following the advice, has made a real difference. And um, if we don't keep this up, and if we don't keep this up until at least the middle or end of May, uh, things could go pretty sideways pretty quickly. So, uh, I, you know, we're not intending to say, you know, relax, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, the numbers, if, if you haven't controlled or if you don't follow this, you could end up with the same situation that's happened in the U.S. or Italy or Spain. It can quickly get out of spiral out of control. But I think, you know, the data that we've seen and we've seen in many other countries uh, with the social distancing practices, particularly now in Australia and, and New Zealand, look very encouraging. And, and, it's, and the trends are starting to show up in Saskatchewan, in BC, and now in Alberta. So, um, Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> so I think there's, there's reason for, for optimism. Um, but at another level, um, yes, we have to be concerned and we have to be um, vigilant and diligent. One of my listeners just texted in and wanted to know... Um, how the effects of testing impact your modeling? Yeah, it does um, affect particularly in the total number of cases. Um, generally, if you want to deal with the problem of testing, the best numbers to work with are from the deaths, um, unfortunately. But the death rates are more accurately measured than the tests of confirmed, and so you can use what's called incident fatality rate or incident or case fatality rate to actually estimate the true number of cases. And typically, uh, at least in Alberta, we would estimate there's roughly twice twice as many cases as they've currently reported. Um, so, and then in places where the testing is, is much less, say in the U.S., there's probably about four times as many um, cases as they've reported, maybe five times as many. So with the, with, the, with the conflicting numbers from what you have and from what is being released at different levels, you know, why is it so important then to make sure that for you that this is released to the public? Well, I think part of it is, as I say, we're, we're trying to track information from multiple sources and using historic data. So we're using what's called top-down modeling. And from our perspective, we think this is more informative, and we're using information from other countries, which is also more informative. The models that at least some of the Canadian uh, and provincial governments are doing are, are based on, on a different set. They're very local. They're very detailed um, and quite impressive in their complexity. But in, uh, many epidemiologists don't tend to use uh, data from other countries, and it's unfortunate they don't. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is sort of what we've been using, and it's why we spend a lot of time trying to collect data from other countries. And it's why we all are there flaws in that at all? Um, there can be, yeah. And I think you can see that there are some cases where 
in other countries, uh, they either had no social distancing and others they had very tight social distancing. So the, the time for the epidemic to, to wind down took longer or shorter. And so in our modeling, we have to make some assumptions um, for the different countries and to sort of look at the trend data, see if they're actually similar or different. So we have a couple of different trend models that we've had to, to, to build. Um, but it makes makes many many fewer assumptions than than the, the provincial models, and in that regard, I think it makes it more robust. Dr. Wishard, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon and um, you know sharing your insight into this fascinating stuff. Just absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks. All right. Take care. That is uh, Dr. Now. David Wishart. Bye-bye now. He is the um, COVID Mapper Project Lead. He is a University of Alberta professor with expertise in biology, biochemistry, computing science. And um, if you want to check out COVID Mapper, you can. It's covidmapper.ca. It's free stuff. Check it out. Go and uh, look uh, for it. Oh, a little mind blown there. But anyway, but uh, Dr. Wishart saying that we need to continue to do what the medical officials have told us to do because, as he said, this can get out of control very, very quickly. We'll